It has been said that shared joy is multiplied joy. The person who has joy and shares that joy does not run out of joy. If you have $100, you start sharing fives and tens, pretty soon you have no more $100. Your, your money's gone. But if you have joy and you share the joy, it's a little bit like the story of Jesus where he has the bread and the fish and he's feeding a whole multitude with just a tiny little lunch. It just increases. I've said that a physical joy, if joy was a physical substance, it would be one of those things that would never run dry. It's just continuing on and on. Joy is actually hard to describe. Maybe somebody's wondering here this morning, what is joy? Well, I can tell you one thing it's not. I mean, it's, there may be some, maybe feel overlap, maybe a bit, but it's different. Joy is not happiness. Somebody had asked C.S. Lewis one time if he had become a Christian to be happy. He said, no, a bottle of whiskey would have done that. He became a Christian to become right with God, to be holy, something like that. That's the whole essence, to become one with God, joy. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. Something good happens, we feel happy. Something bad happens, we feel depressed or discouraged. In fact, joy is something we're commanded to have. It's a choice we make. That's hard to understand, especially in hard times. True joy is something that, that if it's in the heart, it does not dissipate and vaporize, disappear, simply because the circumstances change. If you take a flashlight or maybe light a candle outside in the sun, on a sunny day, you can hardly see the flame. It's just not visible, but it's real. But if the sun sets and it gets very dark and all of a sudden that flame becomes very real, that's a bit how joy works in dark times and difficult times. There's so much negativity going on around us all the time, continually, and it's not decreasing. There is a real need for joy in the lives of God's saints. There's a lot of worry Fear, anxiety, and all those things around us. The world actually wants us to be afraid. The world wants us to be scared. I mean that literally. I won't go into all the reasons why, but it's, it's true. And then wherever fear raises its ugly face, we as children of Christ, as God's children, we need to remember, be joyful. This last week I was saying to someone, if worry was a profession, we'd have a lot of professional people. But the truth is, fear, anxiety, and worry doesn't help anybody. Nothing is changed by it. In fact, it just makes things worse. Some years ago, it was actually 2015, there was a movie released called Bridge of Spies. Some of you have watched it, I think. In this particular movie, there's this uh, Russian spy who's, who's caught in the States. He's, he's caught and arrested. Uh, he's charged with espionage and and the whole proceedings start with the court and everything, and he's appointed a lawyer to represent him in court. And, and this lawyer wants to do his best as a good, honest American citizen would. This, this spy deserves a fair chance in court. In the proceedings, as the lawyer is preparing for the court case, he becomes aware how unnaturally calm the spy is. It's based on a true story, as a matter of fact. It's, it's interesting to watch. And he's so calm and so unafraid and so relaxed about the whole thing. And the lawyer asks him, aren't you alarmed? Aren't you afraid? 
The spy simply calmly says, would it help? We all know the answer. Worry, anxiety, and fear do nothing to help us. And this is something that's even beyond just religious faith. There are people, when you read the stories, especially Holocaust stories, Jews who don't believe in Christ, or but they have a faith in, in God, and other people, even other people who have a very strong confidence, a strong core belief system, values, and convictions they hold. When they face hard times, they respond differently than those who jump and run to and fro at every new piece of news that comes out. Again, joy is not a condition of circumstances. It's a response to the realities of life in a positive way. And as I said, this is not pertained just to just believers, but nowhere is this more exhibited than in the life of Christ's followers. They are the best equipped and the best able to exemplify, to exude this. Today, we have reasons to be joyful. And some people might raise their eyebrows and wonder, yeah, with what's going on in our world? Yes, we have reasons to be joyful. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of fear, mistrust and doubt, anxiety. A word picture that comes to mind that picked up somewhere, I don't know where I got this from, but somebody put it this way. If you have a thermometer in the room, all that this thermometer does on the wall, it go up when the temperature goes up, go down when the temperature goes down. That's all it does. It doesn't influence the temperature. It doesn't change the temperature. All it does is just indicate is the temperature hot or is it cold or medium. Some people are like that. Times get better, their attitude gets better. Times get worse, their attitude gets worse. They're like thermometers. Other people are like the thermostat. The thermostat is what influences the temperature. Not saying the thermostat can always control. If it's a very drafty old house, crank it up, still won't get warm. But at least the thermostat is not influenced by the temperature. And the question we can ask ourselves is, am I more like a thermostat or am I more like a thermometer? Times get better, I go up. Times go down, I go down. Joy is independent of the temperature. Joy is not influenced by it. Our joy should not be like a thermometer, rising and falling with a little piece of good news up and a piece of bad news that goes down. That's not what we should be like. The truth is the thermostat is independent of the temperature. It tries to control the temperature. Whether it may succeed or not is a different story. Our response to life should be like the thermostat. We may not be able to control the circumstances, but we can decide our attitude. We can decide our response. And the world would so much like to control us, to be like a, therm like a, therm like a thermometer. In our world today, as we look around, our personal freedoms are being eroded, undermined, and taken away bit by bit. A lot of people are very worried, very scared what's going to happen. But then there are also those who are not afraid. They're not discouraged. They're like a thermostat. You see, I've said it this way, and I'm not meaning anybody in particular, but I'll say it this way. Governments in the world fear nothing more than fearless people because they can't control them. It's well documented where people are ruled by dictators. Dictators use fear as a mechanism to control their people, keep them in bondage mentally, emotionally, financially, economically, socially, and all kinds of things. But even in that context, in that environment, we as Christians don't have to succumb to it. We as followers of Jesus, we turn to God, allow his words to guide our hearts, 
And in so doing, adjust our attitude toward what God is telling us. And regardless of what goes on around us, we still have joy and still have peace in our hearts. We are in the Advent season now. And this coming Friday, as I mentioned, we're planning to celebrate the joyous event of the birth of the Christ child. The events leading up to that were events of joy. This morning in my sermon, I want to point that out. We're at the point in the sermon where Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth and the young virgin Mary had all been informed of some joyful events happening in their lives. Zechariah and Elizabeth were promised a baby, a baby boy in their old age. And they were also told what he was going to become. The young virgin Mary, most likely a teenager at this point, was informed by the angel Gabriel that she too would bring a son into the world, and that he would be the son of God, in fact. Exciting news. And rightly so. But the context of this, and I've preached about this before, but the context was not all that great. A lot of darkness was there. You know how parents are sometimes worried about bringing children to this world? Oh, what's going to happen to my little ones? Or what's, what kind of a world will they inherit? And so on. It's true. And there's a lot of bad stuff going on. But is that what causes our attitude to rise or fall? Is that what, what, what determines our responses? John, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they could have had all kinds of misgivings and all kinds of worries and fears, and Mary as well. The truth of the matter was that at times, those times were not good times. You just have to read the histories. Elizabeth and Mary, both these women were going to have a child, a baby boy who would be called into ministry. These little boys would grow into adulthood. They would become men. They were promised that. Each of them was going to play a key role in God's plan for his people. These two boys, later known one as John the Baptist and the other as Jesus of Nazareth, both of them would speak truth and light into darkness. Both would be known as men of conviction, men of truth, and who would speak truth to power and and the evil empires of their time. Both would suffer. Both would be arrested. Both would be treated unjustly. Both would die a violent death. In the case of Jesus, we know he was God's son, and when he died, he rose again. But as a man, he had a very difficult life. One could say as dark as the times were, there was plenty of reason to worry and fear what's going to happen to our sons, Elizabeth and Mary. What's going to happen to our babies? Instead of worry and fear, we know that Mary rejoiced when the angel visited her. We have the record of how she responded. And from what we read, what was in her heart was not fear or worry or anxiety. It was joy. Let's read Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 39 this morning. It says here, In those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. This happened right after the visit of the angel Gabriel to Mary. Remember last time we mentioned that when the angel visited Mary, the angel also told her that her relative Elizabeth in her old age had conceived and was going to have a baby. Mary caught this, remembered it, and went and visited her old cousin Elizabeth. This news that Mary received was something that she, in her excitement and joy, had to share. Her old cousin, she was going to tell her, I'm going to have a baby too. That was going to be kind of the news. She looked at this event with joy and anticipation, and she just had to share it. And who better to share it with than her old cousin? So she traveled to the countryside of Judea, and there she was. She went to uh, Elizabeth, and it says in verse 41... 
how she spoke. It says in verse 40, 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Lots of joy in that home that time. But it's hard for us to really fully imagine what that must have been like. These two women together, full of joy, even the baby leaping for joy, not even born yet. But there's a lot of things here that are worth noting. One was an old woman, married for many years, had expected a child, hope for a child for many years. Now in old age, grandmother age, she was going to have a baby. She was joyful. The other one was Mary, a young woman, most likely a teenager, not even married yet, no experience of married life whatsoever, engaged to a young man, to a man named Joseph. We don't know how young he was. She could have been the granddaughter of this old Elizabeth. But they had some things in common. They were each going to have a baby. That's a good common topic and theme to talk about. There's another thing they have in common. Both babies were miracle babies. Old grandmothers usually don't have babies. And young virgins without a Man's involvement don't have babies either. So there's something in common. But they have a common view of the future. Both had been given a promise. Both were the recipients of a miracle. Both were anticipating what God had promised would come to reality. They were blood relatives as well. They were connected spiritually, had the same faith. It says, Elizabeth loudly affirmed and praised God for what he was doing through Mary. She was excited and joyful that Mary had come to visit her. And then verse, 36, verse 46, we continue reading, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You see the context here? You see this, this, this joy is exuding from this experience, from this whole thing. Mary had her heart set on God and focused on God. And she said, my, my soul magnifies the Lord. Makes great, makes him great. It's wonderful. It's It's special. She had a heart of joy. She's not looking at all the possibilities and all the variations that could possibly influence her life, some of which were not that pleasant if we read the story. She was a young woman looking ahead toward the future when some things that were now not certain would take place. But she focused on magnifying the Lord. She says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There is something powerful and something deep something permanent, something eternal in that statement. She was focused on God and she was joyful. I want to also quickly add here that every human being is created for exactly this. Magnifying the Lord and rejoicing in God our Savior. That's not just for one, this young girl Mary. That's for all of us. And that's not just for when things are good and easy and nice. That's for all time. I know it's hard when things are bad to rejoice. But there's something we want to touch on a little bit later in my sermon here. Just be patient with that. Mary was living out the purpose for which God had created her. Not that she was the mother of Jesus. That was, that's true, but that was not the, not the point. She was doing this because God created her for this. She was living in joy. God has made you and us, you, us, each one of us for joy. Let's embrace this truth. God made us for joy in connection with him. 
Let's just bask in it. Let it soak in. That's the purpose for which we exist. But with the presence of sin in this world, we know it's, it's, it's flawed and we don't do it well. and We need grace and we need to repent and receive more grace and on it goes. But there never is a time when a follower of Jesus can say, you know, I need to take a break from joy. You know, I'm, I'm going to take a break from joy. That's not reality. And I know we falter, but there's grace, but this has to be a constant focus. And our soul can rejoice in God our Savior. Our joy in God our Savior is not dependent on the outward things as I've mentioned. And in this passage, Mary then goes into elaborate detail of this whole thing. And of course, she did not have the complete picture. She was envisioning something different than actually happened. But her heart's focus was right. Let's read verse 48 and onward it says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And his holy name, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Considering Mary's perspective, the way she viewed life and what was happening, she recognized that with God, anything that God called her to do was sacred, was special. She simply, humbly calls herself his servant. Even though the calling she received meant that she was going to bring the Christ child into the world. Mary realized that God was on the right track. She realized that for her, with the promise of God on her, the only way forward was closer to God. God's mercy was on her, not just for her, but for all generations. And she continues in verse 51, she says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He has, he has, he has, he has. Six times in, those, in that passage and maybe more depending which translation you read. She's focusing into the future. She's prophetically looking forward to what God will do. She was looking at the current state of life and what would happen, what would take place. She believed what she had been promised. And she referenced it back all the way to their ancestor Abraham. It would have been interesting if Mary had kept the journal, and we could now read that journal, but... Such is not our fortune. We don't have that. But this is given to us that we can read this and also walk in the same kind of faith. This passage closes off by telling us that Mary remained with her relative for three months. That's 90 days. That's pretty good. Verse 56 goes on and says, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. For Mary, this time with her cousin Elizabeth was a very important time in her life. We do not know what all possible topics these two women may have discussed. I'm sure they talked a lot more than just in this little passage here. For Elizabeth, she was nearing the end of her pregnancy. And for Mary, she was in the early stages of hers when they met. But they shared life together and they had joy. They were rejoicing what God had done for them and what they were anticipating God was going to do for them. And to think that all this time Zachariah, the old guy, he couldn't talk. wonder how Elizabeth got along with him. He was mute, remember? Even though these two people, or these three people, Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary had been told so much, and the journey was in process, there was still so much that wasn't answered, still so much that was uncertain. 
And as we move along in the story, if you read the story for yourself, I encourage you to do that, read the story. As we come to Easter, we see how God wrapped up and finished the whole work by allowing his son Jesus to die on the cross. John the Baptist died sometime before that. What do we glean and gain from a story like this in a worship service? It's important for us to look at these stories to learn what they teach us today. What was happening here was God had chosen these women for his purposes, and they rejoiced in their calling. Okay, so that was written down. But it's no different today. Whatever your calling is, wherever you work, whatever your circumstance in life, it is no different. But my job is not that important. Yes, it is. I'm not that significant. Yes, you are. We're God's creation. God's image, designed for glory. Created for glory. Think about that for a moment. Shouldn't that cause us to be joyful? These two women took joy in the journey that God had given them. We don't find they had fears and misgivings about the strange things that were going to happen. Mary looked with joy and anticipation to the future of what God had promised her. Mary viewed God as somebody who has already completed the act. In our time, for us, we can now look back on the recorded story, read the events. But the truth is, we are still part of the same story. Just a different page, a different strand, a different time. The same story. God's continuing the story. God's continuing the story to use people for his glory to further the story. And one day that story will wrap up and then Jesus will come and take his bride home. So let me ask us here today this morning, are we rejoicing in God? Some people say, yeah, well, yeah, as soon as I will, as soon as this resolves itself, then I'll have joy. And as soon as that's straight, I'll have joy. Really? Yeah, right. If joy is contingent on circumstances to change, sorry, folks, it won't happen. The focus is wrong. That's why I said before, there are people in this world, some are not even believers, they have such strong convictions, such strong foundations, such strong values, they go to prison for what they believe and they don't budge. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about being followers of Christ. We should. But nobody better than a follower of Christ can do this. So are we rejoicing? And if we think, oh, I'll rejoice as soon as and when, if, and no, no, then we got it wrong. If our joy is connected to and dependent upon and tied up with events, the here and now, I'm sorry, then we missed it. Then we become the thermometer, not the thermostat. Do we believe the promises that he'll be with us as he says he will be? That he'll lead us to the end and never leave us or forsake us as he's promised? Or are we so worried and so fearful and so anxious there's no room for, for joy? You know what? The world loves that. The world thrives on that. Because those are the people they control. Paul wrote to Philippians, the Philippian church in Philippians 4 verse 4. He writes these words. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Remember that. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You and I are made for joy. That's the design. God is pleased when we express it. He's pleased when we live it. It's contagious. It never runs dry. The psalmist writes about it numerous times. But you know, there's so many people 
They'll be joyful just as soon as or whenever. And that's and the worst part is people do that with salvation. That is completely insanity. There's a story of a Billy Graham in his book called Just As I Am. He tells a story of how he was, he was on a flight one day from Ghana in Africa to Nigeria in Africa, from one country to another in Africa at midnight. And in the story, he writes, it was the most harrowing of flights he had ever taken. So one of those flights, he flew on an old DC-3, a Dakota plane. That's, if you know about planes, this is an old tail dragger, World War II, and it's a small passenger plane. And it had been owned by several companies, several airlines, and the names were still visible under the successive coats of paint. You can get the idea of how old it was. On this trip, he said there was an English lord dressed in Bermuda short sitting beside him. And Billy Graham tried to witness to this guy. And, but this man was not interested in the least. Mid-flight, as they were flying, the pilot, he was a European. He came out of the cockpit and the cabin and to chat with the non-Africans on the plane. While he was chatting, all of a sudden, the plane entered a violent thunderstorm. And the pilot quickly went back to the cockpit, and Billy Graham says, the lightning flashed razor bright, the plane shook and rattled and rolled, and the plane did everything except turn over, he said. It was so violent, Billy didn't think the wings would remain attached to the fuselage. But Billy mentions in the story that this Englishman who was sitting beside him in the Bermuda shorts, he was growing as nervous as he was, and he asked Billy to repeat what he had just said about salvation. First he had no interest. Now in the thunderstorm, he all of a sudden got interested. Billy asked him if he would receive Christ. He said he would give it a thought. You know what? People like that, they'll miss the mark. Because it's conditional. Do I need it? Do I want it? And if life gets too bad here, then I have that as a backup. If life doesn't work out here, then I'll go do that. If that's how we view the Christian life, you know, that's how people view the Christian life too many times. Well, I'll, I'll take God into the picture when I need him. Forget it. It's not going to happen. How amazing how people change priorities so fast. First, the man was not interested until his life was maybe at stake. Then he had concern. You see, there's no greater joy than when we surrender to Christ give our lives to him, let him do with us as he sees fit, and then we walk in faith and humility and allow him to use us for whatever he wants, and then we have joy, basking in the joy that he has for us. This coming Christmas, what will it be? Are we going to be a thermometer, turn, up the, turn on the news and the thermometer turns hot, oh, anger and frustration, or turn on the news and things look bad and we're going to go down with cold and anxiety and fear and worry. What will it be? Or are we going to be a, therm- a thermostat that influences the temperature? Jesus Christ wants us to be his image bearers, to walk with him, to be the salt and light that affects change in this world. So may God guide our hearts and minds as we respond with joy to the call on, his, on our life for him. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for the Christmas story, how you involve people in it. You choose to involve people in this glorious story. And you not only used people, but you yourself became a human being as a part of the story. We thank you. Lord, help us in this world today to live out joyfully this great story, this good news, and that you can use us to pour blessings into the lives of those we meet. May we live out this great news with joy toward everyone. In Jesus' name.